I think it's instructive to air uh, CNN's power rankings. You know, because CNN, they, they're like, campaigns are like uh, sport sports to CNN and others. You know, it's like, who's up, who's down? So now they have a power rankings. And I tweeted about this earlier in the week because it was kind of absurd. I mean, they had Kamala Harris first. And, and when you watch the reasons they had Kamala Harris first, it, it's, it's kind of laughable. So I'm going to play you that uh, if you could stomach it. I hope, you know, it's afternoon Eastern time, so hopefully you've eaten something. So I'm going to play you this, and uh, then we'll show the reality. Because, as I said when this came out, this is just propaganda. Here we go. CNN. Harry Enten, their, their wise guy, for, forecaster. Looking half. Joins us now. <laughs> yeah. CNN senior politics writer and analyst. <laughs> Harry Flash Enton the unhinged half with the power ranking. You know, I was going to model for Calvin Klein, but I decided to be with you two instead. Oh, Isn't that thank nice? You. Wow. Yes. So let's we'll start with six through ten. Uh, Joe Biden's not on that. Uh, I think the biggest movers here, and we'll get to Elizabeth Warren coming down three spots. She's one of the bigger movers. Sherrod Brown, also one of the bigger movers. I would really say that there's kind of like a line here whereby I would group six and eight, eight, six through eight together and then nine through ten. I don't think that these two are really in the same class at this particular point or tier at this point as these three are. And that's based on the polling that you've seen, based on the, the endorsements, based on the activist support. Right. That's exactly right. We're looking at a slew of different factors. And while it's not necessarily, necessarily a statistical model, all of these different factors are being taken into account in our rankings. I mean, like, Kirsten Gillibrand is really nowhere in the polls. Julian Castro is really nowhere in the polls. A lot of people aren't really searching their names on Google, and they haven't really pulled a lot of endorsements. In. Okay, so show us the top five. So let's look at the top five, one through five, and this is where we see some big movement going on here. And this one in particular, which we'll be talking about, Bernie Sanders has seen a lot of movement going up. Uh, Amy Klobuchar is also a little bit up. We've seen her poll numbers actually rise a little bit, despite some of those negative reports on how she treats her staff. But really, the top two right here are pretty stable with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. If I were making groupings here, I would really probably group one through four together, and then probably five would be in a, in a little bit lower down. And, of course, I imagine this would change substantially if Biden or Beto O'Rourke got in. Uh, correct. I mean, we would probably see Beto and or Biden go up. Of course, 95 percent things, while they tend to happen most frequently, I don't know what the margin of error is around that. Talking about stati statistical models, I don't really know if there's a statistical model that's Joe Biden specific. Joe Biden's his own man. We'll see what happens. But until he gets in, I'm not saying he's in. And what is it about Kamala Harris? She gets a lot of attention. She gets a lot of uh, buzz. And so why is she your number one in the power rankings? Uh, she's moved up in the polls. She's had very good Google trends, which we'll see in a moment. Uh, activist support. Uh, Seth Maskett, who's a political scientist, has asked people in the early states, these activists, who, who they might consider supporting. And she's very high up on those lists. All right, funds. There's been some... So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight for you. So, and again, I'm not even going to show the polls yet. Because Kamala Harris is high up there in Google Trends, she is your number one over Bernie Sanders, who's raised, at this point, I don't even know how much he's raised, but in the first week, $10 million, has a million volunteers, leading in New Hampshire's polls, moving up in Iowa's polls, which I'm about to show you. So because some activists on the ground and when CNN says activists, I don't particularly know who they consider the activists. Uh, but because some activists say they like her and because 
people are searching for her on Google. That makes Kamala Harris number one over, frankly, even Joe Biden, who is leading in the polls, in, in most polls. And Bernie Sanders, who's, I mean, by every objective measure, money, volunteers, social media interaction, it, it's, it's not really close as far as Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders. So let's continue with this guy, who, by the way, like, reminds me of somebody out of a Bronx tale. You know, one of these, like, uh, Goomba Johnnies, you know what I'm saying? Impressive fundraising halls for some of these candidates who jumped in. Yeah, so this, let's, let's, let's look at the story of why is Bernie Sanders up and Elizabeth Warren down. And look, Bernie Sanders has just raised a ton of money. My goodness gracious, how much Popeyes could I eat if I was able to raise as much money as Almost he did? Almost as much as you do now. Uh, perhaps so. Maybe I can bring in a little Bojangles. He raised $5.9 million in his first 24 hours and $10 million in his first six days. He was the only candidate so far to report raising more than $1.5 million in his first 24. Now, oh. these are self-reports. We'll see what the FTC actually reports when it happens. But look, money is certainly correlated with future success. You need money to run a successful campaign, especially in a field that is going to have more than a dozen people running in it, to be able to outlast those other candidates. Versus Elizabeth Warren, who wants to run a sort of a people-powered campaign, a lot of small donations. She hasn't reported. And if you look at sort of the, you know, the reports that are coming in, they say, you know, you should really keep your expectations down. She might not raise a lot of money. And, and that's when they start telling you to keep your expectations down, it's for a reason. Let me ask you about Google, because Google search trends actually has been really interesting this campaign. Yeah, it's been really interesting. You know, one of the first signs that Kamala Harris was going to go up in the polls was her Google search trends on the day that she announced, that day that she launched her campaign. And if you look at the different Google searches on the day that they announced her campaign and compared all of them, she is number one. Bernie Sanders who has run before, so people aren't looking him up to learn more about him. They're just really interested in this campaign. He has been really high up at number two. Cory Booker, who, you know, we have up in the rankings, although not number one, is also pretty popular. But Elizabeth Warren, all the way down at number five. And again, if you're running a people-powered campaign, you want people searching your name so they can give you money. And she's right now in the middle of the pack with that. All right, so tell us about New Hampshire. Notice how he just totally skipped over Tulsi Gabbard. Number four just goes right to Elizabeth Warren. Warren. I mean, that's basically what CNN and all of them have been doing. And Tulsi Gabbard has a town hall tonight. Uh, I'm not going to cover it live because I don't want to get in trouble with YouTube again. That's how we got a ban in the first place, even though we didn't really violate their copyright. So I will have a reaction, uh, a thorough reaction video uh, on Monday about Tulsi Gabbard. To be clear, CNN... And Harry Enten, Mr. I Love Popeyes, Harry Enten, and, you know, goes like this at the beginning of his, his little analysis. Um, apparently, Kamala Harris is number one in the power rankings uh, because more people are looking her up in Google search, uh, which would make sense because she has no, really, most people don't know nationwide who Kamala Harris is. And what's funny about that is, CNN obviously doesn't care about this because Google's not suppressing CNN, but Google search, I mean, it's been reported and reported, and I've status quo has experienced it. Other in independent outlets have experienced Lee Camp has experienced it. Google search, they are deliberately suppressing down independent alternative outlets. So is it so out of the realm of possibility that they might uh, uh, push down 
Bernie Sanders, if they wanted to, Tulsi Gabbard, if they wanted to, even Elizabeth Warren, if they wanted to. I mean, I could do, I could do a whole marathon, maybe of 10 hours, just on Google and the CIA's connection with Google and the deep state's connection with Google. No, this ain't, this ain't uh, conspiratorial. This is fact after fact after fact is out there about Google. So I'm not saying that Kamala Harris doesn't have more search uh, in Google than Bernie Sanders. What I am saying is that's not the basis of ranking someone number one in the Democratic field. And what this is called... What this is called, you know how CNN, MSNBC, all of these networks, New York Times, Washington Post, essentially gave Donald Trump estimates from $2 billion to $3 billion, some estimates as high as $5 billion worth of free advertising and promotion. Well, what do you call this, what CNN is doing with California Senator Kamala Harris? There is no objectionable political analysis, not objectionable. No objective political uh, analyst would say Kamala Harris right now is leading the Democratic primary field. You throw out your ideology, you throw out your bias, you just look at the numbers. Honestly, I think it would be more fair just by the polls to say Joe Biden is leading. Whether I like Joe Biden or not, I keep it real. He is leading in a lot of the polls. Not by much, which I'm about to show you. But... If they put Joe Biden number one, okay, that's, it's debatable, but it's at least in the realm of fair. Kamala Harris, this is what Noam Chomsky, still going, 90 90 years strong, would love to interview him, calls manufacturing consent. They're trying to manufacture both awareness, brand ID, name recognition, and consent for Kamala Harris. Why is that? Well, is it, is it, you know, Hillary Clinton, people don't like it, but should we not remind you that Kamala Harris's top donor, Kamala Harris's top donor in her Senate campaign and her entire career in the Senate, not a long career, two, uh, two and a half years, Time Warner, or now Warner Media, CNN's parent company, which was bought by uh, AT&T, bought Warner Media last year. She had a hundred, uh, the numbers are correct. Uh, what did she have? 128,000, 128,000 from Warner Media. And, you know, Hillbots are, are, are very fast to say, well, Jordan, you know, you're being dishonest. Those were individuals in the companies. Yeah, do you think it was the, you know, the secretaries donating to Kamala Harris from Warner Media? You think it was like the coffee runners for executives? You think it was the interns? No. What, what, individuals, donations, when you get to that high amount, if you look through FEC filings, it's usually maxed out donations from executives and other senior leadership. It's not to say there weren't some donations from rank and file workers, but by and large, when, and all that money, by the way, from uh, Warner Media, formerly Time Warner, came during her Senate campaign. It didn't come while she was in the Senate. So Warner Media, CNN's parent company, which was just bought by AT&T last year, they were pulling for Kamala Harris. So we shouldn't, there's no connection at all, none, to the adoring coverage CNN is giving Kamala Harris, which includes giving her a number one on the power ranking based on Google searches and activists on the ground. What activists are they talking about? The cashier at a, at a diner? 
no offense to cashiers at a diner, because you want to put Kamala Harris's activists and organizers up against Bernie Sanders, one million volunteers. Uh, who do you think has more among the activist crowd right now? Police. New Iowa poll. Biden and Sanders stand out among likely caucus goers. Of course, they left out a kind of important detail, which I'm going to tell you. The field of Democrats seeking the party's nomination for president in 2020 is one of the largest the party has seen. But for Iowa's most likely caucus attendees, two names stand above the rest. Former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. The latest CNN, Des Moines Register, Mediacom poll finds Biden and Sanders near even, near even at 27% and 25% respectively, with no other candidate earning even 10% support. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts is at 9%. Senator Kamala Harris of California, 7%, come closest. And the rest of the 20-person field tested in the poll, just former uh, Congressman O'Rourke of Texas, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, and Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota are at 3% each, uh, rising above 1%. But here's the even more important part. The numbers haven't shifted dramatically since our December poll. That's actually not true. Biden and Sanders were the top two then, though their relative position has tightened. While Biden led by 13 points in December, he and Sanders are about even now. And the flurry of energy behind O'Rourke following his narrower-than-expected to Senator Tr- loss to Senator Cruz in November seems to have dissipated some, with his numbers slipping six points in the last few months. For the rest of the field, though, things are about the same now as they were then. So, CNN kind of told you the news here, but kind of didn't say it emphatically. Uh, Joe Biden's down five points, and Bernie Sanders is up six points. Kamala Harris... She's up two points from 5% in December to 7%. Bernie Sanders is up six points from 19% to 25%. Joe Biden down uh, 32 to 27. So he's down five points. So let's look at each of those. And by the way, Elizabeth Warren is up up only one point. So uh, I think, I think the biggest takeaway here is actually... Biden down five points because Biden being down five points would indicate two things. Number one, Bernie Sanders, now that he has announced and now that his message is out there, and frankly, he had a hell of a lot better uh, debut of the 2020 campaign than he did the 2016 campaign. 2016, he, he, he leaves the Senate. He does a like kind of impromptu press conference on the Senate lawn. It's not really anything special. Uh, then, obviously, it built up. But in the beginning, it was very disorganized. He barely had any staff, whatever. Um, now, you know, great speech in Brooklyn that we covered. Great speech in Chicago. You know, getting a little bit more personal uh, with the audience, uh, with his um, fan base. Fan base. He's not a celebrity. He's not a musician. With his voters. Um, and one million volunteers. And uh, you see, I think, him really doing things to de-radicalize what the media you know, set as a narrative that he was radical. So he's talking, no, no, what socialism means is human rights. You know, I'm for 
human rights. People have a right to health care. People have a right to education. These are not, these shouldn't be luxuries. So I think that message is penetrating while Joe Biden, the more he kind of sits aside, whatever he's doing, probably just trying, you know, because he's one of these old guard politicians who thinks, you know, he thinks how he's going to win is dominating the donor class. So he's probably just doing a lot of behind the scenes, trying to secure all the heavyweight donors away from Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, all that. Um, but the more he's away, and also the more he's away, even though he hasn't announced, the more some not so kind things are coming out about him. Uh, Ty, our photojournalist, just did a video showing him over the years with, I don't use the word racial because it's not racial, it's racist. I mean, Joe Biden was against uh, busing, uh, busing uh, African-American children in to go into white schools or white children to go to black schools. Uh, you, you know, you watch... Uh, Jen and Ty both did videos on this, but you watch some of the things he said on the Senate floor during the crime bill debate. Uh, he didn't use the term super predators, but he might as well have been talking about these super predators that, you know, his friend Hillary Clinton said. Uh, he was talking about, I don't care what made them turn to crime. We need to get, put them in jail. You know, we don't want them near my, I don't want them near my mother. I don't want them near, you know, your mother. And to hell with, you know, what their circumstances were. To hell with all that. Um, so I think the more Bernie, who's already declared, he's out there, he's doing great on digital media, a lot of great videos, a lot of great uh, rallies. Now he just went to Iowa for several rallies. So he's rising as more people see him and more people hear his message, whereas Joe Biden is falling because he's not out there. But also, even though he's not out there, in credit, I will give credit, I've seen CNN mildly cover some of his previous racist statements. I've seen Washington Post. Washington Post is the one that unearthed this uh, statement he made in 1975. Let me get it up for you. Joe Biden, busing, uh, Washington Post. You know, hey, if the corporate media does something right, you got to give them credit. There's nothing wrong with that. So, uh this is what Joe Biden said in the 1970s. I do not buy the concept popular in the 60s, which said, we have suppressed the black man for 300 years, and the white man is now far ahead in the race for everything our society offers. In order to even the score, we must now give the black man a head start, or even hold the white man back to even the race, Biden told a Delaware-based weekly newspaper in 1975. I don't buy that. So, when this, when this went live, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, it was 30, 40 years ago. Can you imagine if it came out that Bernie Sanders said the black man shouldn't get a head start to even the race? It doesn't matter if he said that in 1945. They would be calling for him to drop out. And frankly, they'd be calling for him to resign from the Senate if we're keeping it real. I don't, you know, honestly, yes, obviously it was a different time then, but just the sheer, I mean, the sheer not-so-subtle racism in that tone. The black man? I mean, Bernie Sanders wasn't talking like that in the 1970s. And I assure you, Bernie Sanders wasn't talking like, oh, well, I don't believe that they should, they deserve a head start or even, the, uh, or, or even hold the white man back to even the race. It's not a race if one person was basically pushed down at the beginning of the race. It's not a race if one group of people have essentially 
been disinvited from the race. It's not a race when one group of people have literally been trampled in the race. I don't know what other way to say it that would get across, I mean, just the racism and what he said. And by the way, it's, you know, yes, it was 1975, but like, you know, Civil the, the Voting Rights Act passed in the 1960s. You know what I mean? Uh, Bernie Sanders in the 1960s was getting arrested, marching for civil rights. So, you know, it's, there's really, you could make excuses. Oh, it was a different time. He's evolved, blah, blah, blah. But has he evolved? You know, people are so viscerally offended, outraged, scared by the things Donald Trump says, the policies he pushes, like a Muslim ban, you know, child separation. No, in no ways am I minimizing it. He's a, he's a terrible man. And I think he should be, I think he should be defeated in 2020. That's why we're critical of the Democratic Party, because I don't think you're going to defeat him with the same old, same old, with, with Hillary Clinton as a man. I mean, that's what Joe Biden is. So, you know, but... Racism isn't only words. Racism isn't only tweets. Racism isn't only uh, gaffes. Racism is policy. So he said these things in the 1970s. He was on the wrong side of history. Then he pushed the crime bill, which in fairness, Bernie Sanders voted for the crime bill. But he is on record citing that he is very worried about this potentially creating a mass incarceration system then. He voted for it because it had provisions in there, uh, the Violence Against Women Act and some other good parts of the crime bill. But he was on record against and predicting, you know, Bernie Sanders is a pattern of predicting things that ultimately happen. He predicted the Iraq war was going to be a disaster that destabilizes the Middle East and creates new terrorism. Well, what was the Iraq war? Just that. He predicted the crime bill was going to usher in an unprecedented cycle of mass incarceration for black men. Well, what ended up happening? So... Joe Biden, he's, he said these racist things. Crime bill was racist. I mean, when you're talking about, well, we don't, we don't want to, we don't, uh, we shouldn't be looking at what made them dri- drive them to crime. We should be looking at, we got to get them off the streets. Well, yeah, that's, that's called white privilege, looking at it that way, you know? And the majority of people that are in jail with the crime bill, nonviolent offenders, that Joe Biden doesn't, you know, good old Joe Biden who took the Amtrak to the Senate. What does he care? And it's very important. It's very important. I don't care what he says now. I care what is he say, What is he saying when he's not running? Well, what did Joe, Joe Biden have to say about the crime bill in 2016? Let's take a look. Perspectives change over time. Bobby Rush, member of Congress, said the other day, I'm ashamed that I voted for the 94 crime bill. You ashamed of that bill? Not at all. Um, and in fact, I drafted the bill, as you remember. I know that. And by the way, we talk about this mostly in terms of Black Lives Matter. Black lives really do matter. But the problem is institutional racism in America. That's the overarching problem that still exists. And we should be talking about it. And you look at it, the, the legacy of racism in housing and jobs and so on. So, but having said that, if you take a look at the crime bill, of the money in the crime bill, the vast majority went to reducing sentences, diverting people from going to jail for drug offenses into what I, I came up with, the drug courts, mm-hmm. providing for boot camps instead of sending people to prison so you didn't relearn whatever the bad thing that you know got you there in the first place, put 100,000 cops in the street. When community policing was working, Neighborhoods were not only safer, but they were more harmonious. 
And what, when the reason why the cops originally opposed my 100,000 cops from this community policing mm -hmm. piece is because it's high intensive and it means they got to get out of their cars. Mm -hmm. So they literally got out of their cars and learned who owned the local drugstore, the local neighborhood uh, bar, whatever. And they were engaged in the neighborhood, which built confidence so that the woman, the African-American woman living in a corner alone where the drug deal's going down in front of her house knows she literally used to have your phone number as a cop. So I don't know what, what world Joe Biden is living in because that's not what happened at all with the crime bill. And, you know, I'm a white dude, so I'm not going to talk as if I know more than uh, African-Americans that have been, uh, you know, grossly affected by this in, in a terrible way. But I interviewed folks in South Carolina during uh, the 2016 campaign. That is not at all what the effects of the crime bill were. You know, just, oh, we put 100 cops, uh, you know, more cops on the street, and they had great relationships with, you know, old ladies having drug deals in front of their house. No, this basically sent mostly young black men to jail over, you know, uh, cocaine or, or marijuana, um, nonviolent offenses. That's, the, the crime bill was something to make militarized police and, and police as an occupying force legal. It, it went a long way to making that legal. And when Joe Biden tries to equivocate, the problem wasn't this bill. The problem is institutional racism. It's, it's almost like in his mind, those are two separate things. The crime bill is institutional racism. You know, because was there such, is the problem, is the problem those drug dealers trying to make a living? And I'm not saying all drug dealers are, are good people, but there's a lot of people who sell drugs to make a living and support their family because People like Joe Biden, people like the Clintons, people like Ronald Reagan, people like Art Laffer, people like, I mean, fill in the blank, uh, Newt Gingrich, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Bob Dole, stopped representing working people and started selling all their jobs to other countries. And deindustrialization in this country is what has decimated these communities. When I interview, young African-American men in Detroit. They're not out there, you know, selling drugs because that's what they're passionate about. They're not out there selling drugs because, you know, that's what they, you know, as a young boy or girl uh, dreamed of. There's no jobs. There's no opportunities. And the YMCAs, I remember when I was at the Young Turks, I interviewed uh, two young black men from Detroit in front of a closed-down YMCA community center. And they told me, it's like this in every community. So this institutional racism that Joe Biden thinks is like something different from the crime bill, it's all part of institutional racism. You want to know why? Because for the most part, you have old white men of privilege who had opportunities when they were young dictating policy and laws and, and, and what societal norms are in this country. And... It's not, there's exceptions to every rule, because frankly, Bernie Sanders is an old white dude, but he's been on the right side of most of these issues. In some cases, I think he's on the wrong side. I think he's wrong on reparations. I think reparations should happen, and I think it's very simple. Yes, I think each family, I know it's hard to quantify which families were, were hit 
you know, disproportionately uh, negatively affected. I don't even know if you can quantify it like that. And there's also the question of heritage. You know, a lot of people don't know their ancestry because the records were burned and, and missing. And, you know, that's, that's a complicated thing. But I think not just black people, but Native Americans should be compensated for the land that's been stolen, for the family that's been slaughtered, uh, for kidnapping and, and all the terrible things. And by the way, money doesn't you know, eradicate these problems. But that should happen, and I think Bernie Sanders is on the wrong side of that, if I'm telling you the truth. Now, it's fair to say, we, I, if you're talking about reparations, I think it's fair to say, well, I don't think that that's the main thing we need to do. You know, a check might help in the short term, but that doesn't change the structural inequalities in our system. But you could do two things at once. You could compensate African-Americans, indigenous people for the sins of America while also creating a better structural system and opportunity for those classes of people. So I think he's wrong on that. But the point is, Joe Biden doesn't just have a racism problem. Joe Biden doesn't just have a white privilege uh, problem. Joe Biden has a generational problem because he's out of touch with the majority of people. And as I was talking about that Kamala Harris is mostly like a branding exercise, she's been branded into like for the people. I mean, the more I read into her record as California attorney general, her record as district attorney in San Francisco, the shit she pulled in that campaign in the dist- uh, to become district attorney district attorney of San Francisco. By the way, Lee Fang, uh, Lee Fang of The Intercept wrote a great piece about Kamala Harris to become district attorney in California, in San Francisco, actually took out one of the most progressive district attorneys in the country who his MO was not, instead of jailing uh, for drug offenses, rehabilitation and, you know, decriminalizing uh, uh, drugs and things like that. And Kamala Harris used it against him as, oh, conviction rates are way down because this guy, I forget his name, he's, you know, uh, being too lenient and letting murderers and drug, drug, drugsters get away with murder and these things. So Kamala Harris, not for, she's for some people, not for everyone. And I think that's going to come out the more that, comes, the more that this campaign unfolds. But I think, to, to button this up, what this poll is really showing is what you saw in 2016, but now double. The more people hear Bernie Sanders' message, the more people find out that it's been the same message over and over, uh, the more people see him explain and, and kind of de-radicalize what has been been kind of made into this radical thing, uh, that no, you know, let me tell you what socialism means. It's, it's, it's just human rights. We as a civilized society should not profit off of people's suffering. We as a, there should not be a, a, a point of entry to get care in America for, for your health. Uh, everybody should have opportunity uh, for education. What you do with that education is up to you, but everybody should at least have the same starting point. I don't think these, these, these have been made into radical concepts by the oligarchy who doesn't want to sell their yachts, who doesn't want you to have more opportunity because that means they don't have the same because they're the ones getting the free lunch. Don't let anyone tell you, well, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. The bankers have been getting a free buffet for decades. Same thing with Big Pharma. Same thing 
with fossil fuel industry. Same thing with Silicon Valley. Same thing with real estate. Uh, there's uh, another, I think, very, very important story that is really getting no attention. And it kind of goes into what I've covered on the road and status quo is covered on the roll, road. And it's not sexy and the media doesn't care for the most part. But there's kind of like a not so quiet water crisis in America. Here's The Guardian. A hidden scandal. America's school students exposed to water tainted by toxic lead. Elevated levels of lead have been found in schools across the U.S., alarming experts who say it is particularly harmful to children. And by the way, this is a message I do not hear any presidential candidate talking about. This is a national emergency. This is the national emergency. Not a border wall. Not Russian trolls. Our kids are drinking lead. They're not only drinking lead, but there's, there's uh, PFAS, which is a cancer-causing chemicals being found in drinking water across the country. You have TTHMs, which was found in Flint, another cancer-causing chemical. I mean, there's a lot of chemicals and bacteria being found in water that are getting very, very little attention. So I'm going to read you a little bit about this. When Shakima Thomas came home from her job as a Newark, New Jersey social worker in October 2018, she found a paper wedged in her door. The notice said her water could be contaminated with lead. Officials first found lead in school water fountains and taps nearly two years earlier. Contaminations in homes was revealed by environmentalists as it became apparent Newark's corrosive water contributed to lead leaching from plumbing into people's water. Quote, my kids loves water. My kid loves water. He loves it. So it's difficult telling him not to drink the water, said Thomas, about her son Bryce. He's four years old and doesn't understand. In a century-long war to remove lead from Americans' daily lives, water remains the outlier, overlooked by some of the same public health experts and scientists who battled to get heavy metals out of food, paint, and gasoline. Unfortunately, it's a problem that was swept under the rug for many years, even though many experts were well aware there was an excess of lead in their tap water, said Eric Olson, a senior, senior director of advocacy at the Natural Resources Defense Council, about lead in schools in particular. Howard Kessler, a retired doctor based in Tallahassee, Florida, who is part of Physicians for Social Responsibility, said, Parents didn't know about this issue, but it's bubbling up now and many of them are concerned. Lead is a neurotoxin. It drops IQ scores. It's linked to aberrant behavior and violence. The concern is that while we are not taking much action, children are being damaged on a generational level. We are supposed to provide them with a safe environment, not poison them. We are going to spend millions of dollars on security guards to protect students from gun violence, but we aren't properly protecting their brain health from lead and water. And by the way, it's not just their brain health. Lead stunts your bone development, your muscles. I mean, pretty much every system you could think of, your, your um, nervous system, your lymph, your lymph system, endocrine system. I mean, lead wreaks havoc on just about every system within your body. Uh, lead is not an issue specific to New Jersey. Elevated lead levels have been found in schools across the U.S. in the wake of the toxic water scandal that is Royal Flint. The widespread contamination has alarmed experts who point out that lead, linked to developmental and behavioral problems, is particularly harmful to children. High levels of lead exposure can lead to anemia, damaged hearing and speech, and headaches. Low levels can impair a child's IQ, academic achievement, and ability to pay attention. There are more insidious effects researchers are still working to document. U.S. studies have shown lead-exposed children are more likely to be aggressive, leading to bullying, truancy, and even jail. Lead, not just in water, continues to ravage many U.S. cities. In Cleveland, Ohio, some neighborhoods struggle with lead exposure, impacting up to 25% of children. 
And if you recall, Status Quo was the only national media at Cleveland's City Hall during a press conference to announce that 92 children were found with high lead levels in one month in Cleveland since the beginning of 2019. 92 children. They had that press conference on the same day Trump declared a fake national emergency. We were the only national media there. Only other person I saw was somebody from the Cleveland Plain Dealer. That was it. So, nearly 100 children, high lead levels, in a month. Eh, you know. Why cover that? This is why status quo exists. Our national corporate media doesn't give a wild fuck about children, about working people, about the proletariat, about public health, about public safety, about integrity, about ethics. Ooh, this is fun. I could go on. I mean, what is more important? I don't want to be like children or future, but what is more important than children? What is more important? Not just because, you know, parents love your children. Aunts and uncles love your children. Grandparents love your children. But this is our future. This is our future economy. These are our future teachers. These are our future police officers, our future firefighters, our our, our future everything. So if children from Cleveland to Flint to Milwaukee to Baltimore to Pittsburgh to, um, I mean, there's so many other places. Now Utah, Ohio has had water problems, Massachusetts, Newark. And and by the way, there's not nationwide testing going on in these cities. There's not. Cleveland, which found 92 children had high lead levels in a month. Over 50% of the children have not been tested. And guess what? They're majority black. Cleveland is a 53% African-American city. Flint, overwhelmingly African-American. Well, not overwhelmingly, but 50, 70%? 57%? Detroit has a lead problem. Overwhelmingly African-American. Baltimore. I mean, the list goes on. But it's also coming to white areas, too. Lead does not discriminate because this, in wealthier areas, they change the plumbing, they change the pipes, they do lead abatement in the homes to get rid of that old lead-based paint. But in Cleveland, and places like it, you have a lot of old housing stock. So they're not in such a rush. Not in such a rush to fix those things there. This is kind of that institutional racism Joe Biden was talking about. Extensive evidence of lead in school water has been found across America. More than half the public schools in Atlanta were found to have high levels of lead. In some cases, 15 times above the federal limit for water systems. Schools in Baltimore, Portland, and Chicago were all found to have significant amounts of lead in drinking water. The most startling problems arose in Detroit, where the school district shut off water in all 106 school buildings last year. A total of 57 Detroit schools tested positive for lead, copper, or both. Students were told to switch to bottled water. The city is now looking to spend $2 million on new filters and water fountains. This is another thing. They just toss filters at the problems. They need to redo the pipes. Filters don't fix the problem. Filters go bad. Filters are flimsy. Filters don't even protect against bacteria. And filters do not protect if lead is above a certain level. Trust me, the residents of Flint could give you a master's course on the problems with these filters that they hand out. 
Communities outside major urban areas haven't escaped the taint of lead. Two dozen schools and daycare centers in Maine were found to have high levels of lead, while authorities in Vermont have vowed to test more of its schools after a report found 16 of its schools has lead contamination. For residents of Newark, the water crisis means a burden they can barely bear. It took Thomas, who relies on public transportation, almost two weeks to get a water filter after a computer erroneously showed she'd already received one. Quote, it's really unfair and I think it's sad, said Thomas. Kids have to go to school with the water being toxic and they have to come home and the water is toxic. I just think it's poor leadership. Now Newark's teachers are leading the charge to get the heavy metal out of drinking water, suing the city and notifying people like Thomas where to pick up water filters. For Yvette Jordan, one of the named plaintiffs in a lawsuit against the city of Newark and a public school history teacher, it meant instructing her students they could no longer drink from fountains and why they needed to walk across campus cup in hand to quench their thirst. Quote, there wasn't the public outcry because people were so overloaded with the uh, vicissitudes of life. I've never heard that word. Vicissitudes of life, she said. The reaction was, quote, I got to worry about water, too. Are you kidding me? When Thomas found the notice stuffed in her door jam, she was likely unaware of a 1988 law, the Lead Contamination and Control Act signed by Ronald Reagan nearly 30 years to the day before she found that slip of paper, was, was meant to prevent this. In the U.S., lead was nearly phased out of gasoline and paint by the mid-1980s. This alone was a huge public health victory, years in the making, and which showed nearly immediate benefits. The LCCA was meant to further these public health laws by requiring schools and daycares to test for lead and water. Pioneering researchers such, such as Herbert Needleman, whose work was inspired by the playground his North Philadelphia clinic overlooked, were able to show low-level lead exposure in children caused permanent brain damage, behavioral problems, and developmental delays. Scientists turned advocates such as MacArthur Foundation's Genius Award winner Ellen Silbergeld used this research and her own to catalyze politicians to amend lead-related policy. Quote, When we took lead out of gasoline, the blood lead of Americans went down by 80% said uh, Silbergeld about the blood tests typically used to measure lead circulating in the body. At the time, she was working for the Environmental Defense Fund with a team of researchers and advocates. It turned out the contribution from lead and gasoline was huge and much bigger than many of us thought. Silbergeld, who also worked to remove human toxins such as mercury and dioxins from the environment, said, In my life, working on environmental problems, I've never seen anything like it. Within three months, you saw the results. That's astounding. After removing lead from the welds of tin cans, gasoline, and paint, it was almost like, hey, we've solved this, she said. We were really overlooking the potential for lead in drinking water. Although the quality of water in Flint is approving, not true, residents are still concerned about it. Water distribution sites are continuing. For the last several Saturdays, there's been free water distribution at Prince of Peace Church. Saturday's, Saturday's event was also sponsored by the Pack Your Back group. Organizers are urging families who need clean water to attend these distributions. You know Flint needs help, and we want to continue to help our residents here, and the sooner the better. We're going on five years, and five years is way too long. Next Saturday will be the last time water is scheduled to be distributed at the church. Well, got to call it out. New, new Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, who is a Democrat, she said she was going to reestablish the free water pods, which were closed down by Governor Rick Snyder, who frankly should be in jail. Um, 
She said she was going to reestablish it. It's been, she's been in office now full two months. I don't know what's happening with that. So I'm going to reach out to her office this week. But key, key here. It is March 10th. April 25th is five years since Flint had clean water. I'm silent because I want that to sink in. It's been five years since a United States city has had access to clean water. And as you know, both when I was at the Young Turks and now at Status Quo, I've been to Flint 13 times. I would not tell you that they're lying unless I had enough evidence and I had enough research and I had enough interviews and I had enough observation to tell you they are lying. The levels might be improving, but they don't, we don't know if the levels are under the allowable limit that the EPA sets. And by the way, the EPA's allowable limit for lead is based not on public health, but based on a measure of corrosion control. In November, we broke, Jen and I, status quo, broke a massive story showing that the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, the same Michigan Department of Environmental Quality that caused the water crisis in the first place by failing to add the proper corrosion control chemicals to the Flint River when the city was switched from the Detroit water system to the Flint River, they cooked the data. If you never read the story, it was a huge story we broke. We were supposed to break it for Newsweek, but they were cowards and they backed out at the last minute, so we self-published. Jen and I combined knocked on 450 doors last summer and this most recent fall. We found that the state of Michigan, the environmental agency, literally were both going into residents' homes who were on the official state testing program and flushing their water before collecting the samples. So turning on the tap, letting it run, in some cases for 30 seconds to a minute, in some cases for several minutes, in some cases for 10 to 15 minutes. They were letting the water run and then putting the sample bottle under, which is illegal. It is against the EPA's lead and copper rule. It artificially lowers the levels so you get a level that is under the 15 parts per billion that the EPA mandates. We had dozens of residents recount that this occurred in their homes, both state officials going in and doing it, and in other cases, state officials not doing it themselves, but verbally telling the residents, flush your water, run your water before you take the testing. This is one of the biggest environmental scandals, probably of the 21st century. They literally cooked the testing and the data to get lower levels. This has not been even argued. The state of Michigan didn't even argue our findings because they can't. It's true. We have paperwork to back it up. We have overwhelming number of interviews with residents where this happened. Their response to us was the residents are confused. We met in person. I never revealed it, but I'm going to reveal it now. We met in person. I won't reveal who, but we met in person with one of the top, yeah, one of the top five officials in the state of Michigan in, uh, when was it, February, in Michigan. 
we had a meeting with that individual and that person's team. Haven't heard back from, but they were looking into it, our findings. So they said. So we have a corporate media that does not cover this issue. We have a corporate media that even though Congressman Ro Khanna came out, there needs to be an investigation. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard came out. There needs to be an investigation based on what Status Quo found. Susan Sarandon, Alyssa Milano, Sean King. Uh, I mean, the list goes on of people that came out on this story. Nothing has happened. You want to know why? Because our politicians do not care. Do not care about the people of Flint. They care when it's in vogue to care. They care and the pundits care when like a comedian at the White House Correspondents Dinner says like uh, at the end of her speech, Flint has no clean water. And then everybody's Flint warriors on Twitter for five minutes. And then they go back to Trump's tweets. We care. Status quo cares. We've been consistent. If I could go to Flint every week, I'd go to Flint every week because this isn't only about water. Flint is not only about the water. These other cities aren't about the water. This is about, do we live in a country where people, where, where our politicians represent the people and protect the people? Or do we live in a country where the politicians poison the people and then leave them to die? Because that's what's happening in Flint. And you will see that when our documentary comes out. And right now we're shooting to release that documentary in April for that five-year anniversary. You will see what we're talking about. 